Well, good morning, everybody. How are we? Uh, good to be here this morning and good to uh, be able to share the Word of God with you. I'm looking forward to sharing this message with you. Um, if you are taking message notes, the title of my message is Raising Dead People. Now, just to be clear, I'm not continuing Halloween. I'm not expecting zombies to walk around here this morning. Um, I, the inspiration for this message uh, actually came out of a message that Pastor Rob shared at Cheltenham. I know he has um, yet to preach the message here, um, which is all about, he's been doing a series called Lessons from the Carpenter. And one of the messages, he talked about the yoke, Jesus' yoke. Um, now, a yoke is a, an instrument, an agricultural instrument. And I've got a photo, believe it or not, I can't believe I did this many years on a missions trip, that's me uh, ploughing a rice paddy. And um, see the instrument that's across the neck of the two oxen? That's a yoke. So basically what it does is uh, you, you yoke the two animals together and they move forward and they plough the land. Um, and when I did that a couple of years ago, I got completely muddied. I think one of our crew members actually fell into that mud. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, so the yoke is, is basically uh, an agricultural instrument. But in Jesus' time, there was also another interpretation for a yoke, and that is a rabbi's yoke. And what that meant was that a rabbi would have disciples and they would be yoked to the rabbi's interpretation of the scriptures. So when Jesus says to us, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He can say that, first of all, because he's a rabbi, okay? And second of all, we should be going, woohoo, we like yoke being easy, uh, burden being light, because when Jesus said that, he was doing away with the 613 Levitical laws, which had become so heavy and so burdensome for the people, and he summarised it with two commandments, which is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love others as yourself. Are we relieved about that, that we don't have 613 laws to try and abide by? I certainly am. I'm not hearing the, the enthusiasm in the room. Clearly you would love the Levitical laws. But we're called to love. Everything we do is through a filter of love. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Mm, when we think about it, loving people, <laughs> loving ourselves, loving God... You know, not as easy. So I was thinking about that. You know, yoke, easy, burden, light doesn't necessarily equate to life, easy, life, light, does it? Because let's face it, life happens and life happens. Life throws you curveballs, balls, things that you don't expect and things you have to deal with that are hard, painful, and somehow we have to contend with these things. At some point, we're all going to experience death, whether it's death of a loved one, whether it's death of dreams and expectations and desires. We have to deal with loss of relationships, things that we hoped for. And that becomes like the rubber hit the road with our faith because we then have to go, right, what does this mean? It becomes a very challenging time in our faith when we go through dark times. And so this morning what I want to do is go through a very well-known story in the Gospels. 
uh, Emmanuel, probably all know, Lazarus. And what I want to do is just pick out some truths that really spoke to me and I hope will help you when you go through challenging, difficult times in your life. So we're going to read the entire story. It's a little long, so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to John 11. So we're going to pick it up from verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay, lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. And yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What an optimist Thomas always is. <laughs> On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, here, that they may believe and that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Such an amazing story. Imagine Lazarus coming out, four days dead, whatever that experience would have been like. And then all of a sudden, awaking back to life. Can you imagine him going back to work and having a chat with people and someone saying to him, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, nothing much. I was pretty dead beat, really. I mean, how do you explain to people you were dead and then raised to life? Maybe he looks something like this cartoon up on the screen. I was dead. Dead, I tell you. Dead, and now I'm alive. Lazarus tries to explain why he was so late in sending a birthday card. Just a little bit of humour. But whilst the story focuses on Lazarus, I don't want to focus on Lazarus this morning because this story very much focuses on two other characters that to me are quite central to the story, and that is Martha and Mary. This story is very much about their journey, their journey dealing with suffering, their journey dealing with death, and their journey dealing with resurrection. And this is particularly what I want to focus on here this morning. I want to highlight some truths that hopefully will help us, as I mentioned before, when we go through our hard times. So the first thing that I see here is that God's inactivity exposes our fears. Martha, Mary and Lazarus had a relationship with Jesus. Every time Jesus was passing through town, he would stop at their home and they would host him. They opened their, their doors and their hearts to him and they would, you know, bring out food and they would converse. They had a relationship with him. They knew all about his healing ministry. They heard all about his tales. They had this beautiful relationship and many times in scripture it talks about how Jesus loved them. So when Lazarus is sick... It's actually really natural and normal for the first thing the two women do is to send out an SOS to Jesus, to find out where Jesus is and to call out and say, Jesus, the one you love, Lazarus, is, is dying, is sick, please come, help. It's a very normal thing to do, isn't it? When you're in relationship with people and you ask for help, you kind of expect they will drop everything to help. And yet in this situation... Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't respond straight away. He doesn't drop what, he, what he's doing and travel the journey back to Bethany. So I want you to imagine right now what it must have been like for Martha and Mary. They send out their SOS and Jesus doesn't come. And as, because he doesn't come, they're dealing with his, their brother looking more sick by the minute. The fear of losing their brother. What do you think would have been some of the thoughts going through Martha and Mary's mind because Jesus wasn't coming? I'm going to take a leaf out of Matt's book 
and I want you to just have a one-minute chat to the person next to you and just talk about what you think some of the thoughts might have been for these two women dealing with that. Just take a minute to just to do that. Okay, I'm making it a quick minute for you. I would love to hear some responses. Did anyone want to volunteer just some thoughts that you think some, that these women would have been, you know, having because Jesus doesn't turn up? I'm going to be doing my steps this morning. What's your name? I'm Andrew. Andrew, tell me. I think they would have been desperate but hopeful at the same time. So they would have been more and more desperate as they saw their brother getting sick, but they would be hopeful that Jesus would suddenly walk through the door yep. or that their brother would just get well. Yep, okay, great. Anyone else? Yes, Samuel. Um, well, they may have been really fearful that um, they were worried that God wouldn't come soon enough and they would get really probably tired and frustrated and wouldn't sleep well. Yeah, very true. Anyone else? Sorry. I think they would have been really annoyed and felt really betrayed and um, rejected by Jesus because they would have heard he went in the opposite direction. So I think they would have been thinking, what's this about? What's going on? So, so we've heard quite a few responses here. Um, it raised a lot of questions. Raised questions of where they stood with Jesus. It raised questions about their future. It raised, I mean, it was good, great to have um, someone who believes that there still would have been hope. But it definitely raised, I think it would have, if I imagined myself in that position, it would have raised a lot of questions and fear, exposing maybe, perhaps, where they actually stood in this relationship. And so often when we go through challenging times, we often wonder, where are, where are you, God? Don't, doesn't, don't I matter? Why have you allowed this thing to happen? It actually exposes what we truly believe about the relationship. And I believe at some point every believer will face some of these questions. I think it's actually a very normal maturing part of our faith. We will all face problems and fears, but what we truly believe about God will come to the surface. A theologian named John McMurray states, false religion says this, fear not, trust in God, and he will see that none of the things you fear will happen to you. However, true religion would say, fear not, the things you are afraid of are quite likely to happen to you, but they're nothing to be afraid of. You know, it would be actually nice to say that if we follow Jesus, nothing bad will happen to us, that we're protected from every situation. But the truth is, that isn't what Jesus tells us. In John 16, 33, he says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. In other words, have courage. I have overcome the world. So even if we do face situations that we fear the most, God's promise is that he will enable us to overcome those situations. I want you to think about something you may fear right now. Maybe it's some, some, you know, someone you love, miss, you know, losing them. Maybe it's a desire or an expectation, not seeing that thing fulfilled. And if that fear was to become a reality, and I'm not here to try and fearmonger you, I'm truly just saying, if that thing was to happen, would you still believe 
that Jesus, that God unconditionally loves you. That no matter what, he will enable you to overcome. I think this is the learning for us, that God unconditionally loves us. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what trouble we face, And that's not easy, and that's often what we have to face in some of our darkest times. Which leads me to my second point. God suffers with us. For four days, Lazarus was dead in a tomb. And the two sisters had to deal with the fact of that fear becoming a reality. He was dead. Now, suffering is not an easy topic. And I by no means want to simplify it or minimise what people go through. Over the years um, in pastoral ministry, I've heard of things that people have gone through that have truly been, my mouth is down to the floor and I sometimes wonder how people stand, but by the grace of God. Some people just get their fair share of stuff. But suffering has a place. It really truly has a place. But the problem I see here today in the world that we live in, because we have a 24-7 news cycle and because we're so digitally connected, we hear all the time the bad things going around the world. And I know a lot of people who just want to block it out. They no longer watch the news. They don't want to hear bad things. And I, I get it. I understand because you so feel hopeless and helpless with all the things that you hear going on in the world. But the problem I see with shutting ourselves off from it is that we actually don't learn to sit in it. We don't learn the art of sitting in the midst of someone else's suffering. Now, last year I preached a message here called Authentic Community. And part of that is learning to love and learning to listen and be with people, to hear their stories. It's when we do that, particularly when people are going through suffering times, that we don't need to have the answers. We don't need to find why these things have happened. Suffering is incredibly personal and it's incredibly vulnerable. And what the person who is suffering needs is just to know someone is with them. Now, when Mary and Martha were in their period of suffering and Jesus returns to Bethany, Martha is the first one to go out and meet him. And Mary stays behind. She chooses, really, to withdraw from Jesus. But Jesus, what does he do? He calls for Mary. Martha goes back to Mary and says, he's calling for you. You see, God will always call for us in the midst of our suffering, but he waits for us to draw near. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And despite the fact that Jesus knew what was up ahead, he knew how this was all going to turn around. He meets Mary and he's moved with compassion. The shortest scripture in all the whole Bible is Jesus wept and it's in this story. He was moved with compassion of her suffering and he wept with her. So what does this tell us, church? It tells us that in the midst of our own suffering, God is located in it. God is present in it. He's suffering with us. He's weeping with us. Even when he knows what might happen up ahead, he's holding us, consoling us, and comforting us. And that is what he wants us to know in the midst. 
Suffering is a time where we don't need to hear trite comments of, you know, hey, look on the bright side of life, or you'll get over it, all those little things. And it happened to Mary and Martha. Someone said, was it, um, oh, you know, if he can open the eyes of the blind man, couldn't he surely have uh, healed Lazarus? Speaking of Jesus. Now, how is that going to help the two sisters in that moment? We sometimes say things that are not helpful. Rather, all we need to do is learn to be present and be with. I believe certain cultures do suffering really well. As a little girl, I, um, I was raised in an Italian culture and I, I really recall um, going to funerals as a little child. And of course, you know, at funerals, people would wear black. And then we would visit the family a month or six weeks after, you know, just to pay our respects after the funeral. And the family would still be wearing black. Now, today things are changing, people want to modernise and they don't wear black. But what I think we're losing from that is that it tells us when someone is still in mourning. It's almost like the armband thing that footballers wear. It tells us, hey, I'm still grieving. I'm still dealing with something that was really important to me. So treat me gently. Treat, just be kind to me. And when that family or that person was ready to take off those clothes, you knew that their mourning period was over. It's those things that we kind of lose today. I mean, I love the fact that we have wakes at funeral where we can be around people and hear the stories. And, but pretty much after the wake is over and the family goes home, life goes on for most of us. But the family is still grieving. And they could be grieving for how, whoever knows how long. Grief doesn't have an on and off button. There's no neat time frame for it. Our learning is that when we go through suffering, God is with us in the midst. And as a community, we have to learn the loving act of being with people when they're suffering, to open our ears to it. And not to necessarily have the solutions, but just to be with. My third point for this story is that God's delay doesn't mean denial. I see God can respond in, in a couple of ways when we ask him for something. So we're praying, we're asking God for something. His response is, yes, awesome. His response can be, no. Well, that's a response too, unfortunately. And there's also another response, yes, but wait. The yes, but wait can be quite challenging. When Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus' death... Martha and Mary accused Jesus of being late. If only you came earlier, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. The thing is that God always has our best interests at heart, but it's not according to our time schedule or agenda. Okay? He, ha he knows what's to happen, when it's to happen. And it can feel like God is on Thai time. Anyone been to an Asian country and heard that expression, Thai time or Bali time? It just means that the paces are just a little bit more relaxed, okay? So we're kind of going, God, hurry up. Don't you see this has to happen now? But God is not pressured by our agenda or schedule. He lives outside of time and he knows exactly what is to happen when it's to happen. There are appointed times in God. 
I have a story in regards to this, um, and, and, but just on that, in terms of appointed times, they're always for a purpose. And this story had a purpose, and that was to glorify God. And usually the purpose is for that purpose, to glorify God. Um, my personal story is uh, a number of years ago, I, um, before I came on staff at Bayside Church, I was working at a company, a public relations company. And I'd been at this company for three years. And after three years, I, I was done. I was ready for something new. And I told God as much. I wanted something new, so I was applying for jobs. I was also volunteering at Bayside, um, overseeing one of our young adult ministries called Accelerate. And um, so I was doing that on a, on a volunteer basis. And my heart for ministry was absolutely growing. But I wanted a new job. So I applied for jobs. And jobs that seriously had Sandra stamped all over it. I went for interviews and I thought they would be in my hand, but I didn't get them. Every interview, God closed the doors. Completely frustrating. I'm like, God, I've told you what I want. Now you have to deliver. Well, no, that's not how it happened. So I re realised, okay, God doesn't want me to move right now, which was even more completely annoying because I didn't want to be there anymore. But I waited. And within a year, God laid it on my heart to go to Bible college. So as I was umming and ahhing how I was to do that, I finally decided, okay, I'm going to ask my bosses if they will allow me to go down to four days of work a week and one day I'll go to Bible college. Now, obviously, Bible college has nothing to do with public relations. The two don't necessarily go hand in hand. So I thought, well, we'll see what happens. I had a, a meeting with my bosses and they said to me, sure, we'll support you in doing that which is awesome. I said, great, so you can go down to four days. Yes, you can go down to four days and we'll do it to no effect to your pay. Okay, so I got a promotion, fantastic. So I did that for another three years. So by this stage, I'd been in this company for seven years, not three, seven. At around the seventh year mark, uh, I was at a wedding and I was talking to Pastor Christy, she was also there. And we were just conversing, and then all of a sudden she looked at me, and she got the look. If anyone has seen the prophetic Christy Buckingham look, she just looked at me and she said to me, it's time. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I said, time for what? She said, it's time for you to come and join Bayside Church. And my jaw was down to the ground, like, down, and she walked off. What am I to do with that? What? Okay. <laughs> we had never spoken about me coming on staff. So, I went to work that week, and I think it was about the Tuesday or Wednesday. My bosses call me in, and they say, Sandra, we just want to let you know that we're planning to wind up this business in six months. So, we want to give you the heads up so you can start finding another job. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so, I ring Pastor Christy. You know that thing you just said to me on the weekend? Were you, like, was that just a moment? Like, what was that? She goes, no, no, I want you to come and start start work at Bayside. And I said, well, this has just happened at work. And she said, okay, well, what would you like to do? I said, well, I'd like to help my bosses finish well. And she said, well, do that. And then the minute, the, the moment you're ready, you can come and work at Bayside. I did not have one day of unemployment. There are appointed times in God. You can have a promise from God and you can strive to make something happen. The problem with that is that there isn't God's grace or provision in it. The challenge is waiting. 
2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, whilst the scripture is talking about salvation, the essence of it is that God is not slow. His timing is perfect in all things. I want you to think about Abraham and Sarah. They had a promise from God. And believe me, I'm sure Sarah would have preferred to have a baby in her 30s than in her 90s. Like, seriously, I'm sure. Can you imagine being in your 90s? But, you know, that was God's timing for a very specific purpose. And because it was his timing, his provision and grace, not only to conceive, but also to give birth in your 90s and also to be able to rear that child. Miracle that glorifies God. So in Martha and Mary's case, Jesus wasn't late. He was right on time. God chose to respond after Lazarus had died. And in, lo- in like manner, it was undeniable when he was raised from the dead that God was involved and that God was glorified and that people could believe that God was in their midst. If there's something in your life at the moment that feels like God is just not showing up, not responding in your timing, can I encourage you just to be patient? You know, a delay is not a denial. Not always. My last point that I want to share with you this morning is that God's presence brings new life. None of us are exempt from experiencing dark times. The problem that I see is that when we do face those times, that we stop hoping, that we stop believing. And I think when you've been disappointed several times in your life, what can happen is that fatalism can set in. What's fatalism? What does fatalism sound like? It sounds like, what's the use? Nothing will change. Why should I bother asking God for anything? What will be, will be. Jesus had to remind Martha who was in her midst. He said to her, I am the resurrection. And that just doesn't mean in the second coming. It means now. In other words, church, just as we face death and suffering, times of letting go, times of disappointment and grief, our faith says, I believe in new life to come. We will, all of us, emerge out of the tomb of suffering and despair if we believe God can do that through us. I know there are people potentially here in this room who may be going through very difficult times and I don't know how long you've been going through them. But I want to encourage you that new life is coming. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope of new possibilities, that God can birth something new in the midst out of your suffering. Because I truly believe it's written into the universe We see death and then we see resurrection life. Romans 8.11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Resurrection power lives inside of us. If Jesus lives in you, you have that power within you. And so what does it look like? It looks like hope. It looks like healing. It looks like reconciliation. It looks like forgiveness, new life, new opportunities. But it takes us being open to that. And when we're closed off, it's very difficult for new life to come. It's just being open to the Spirit of God to breathe on us afresh and to do something new. And that's what Martha and Mary had to learn, that when Jesus is in their midst, yes, death may happen, but resurrection goes hand in hand.